All right. Good morning to you. Oh, come on. Good morning. And can I just stop right now and tell you something? It is great to see you here. I look across this crowd, and this is a great crowd. Thank you for coming to Dorsfield this morning. And I think God's got something for us today uh, that's pretty stinking incredible. And, and we're in this series called Scar Wars. You can pick up on the theme from Star Wars. And we're talking about this conflict, this battle between good and evil is what we're talking about. And this dude's going to run on for a while. In fact, I think it's going to run longer than I thought. Um, because I really, boy, no, I know, this is really important. It's just really, really important. Now, I want to hope to encourage you to understand just how much God cares and how big God is and how much he loves us. Um, so before I use my introduction, I want to tie in Donnie's song. I need to tell you that some weeks ago, Donnie wrote me and said, hey, what are you preaching on? I said, well, it's about Calvary. It's about rescue and things like that. What he did not know was my introduction. Now, some people would probably say, well, you know what? This is kind of like coincidence. Well, I don't think so. I don't think so. But I leaned over my wife and said, read this and listen to what he's fixing to sing. So here's my introduction. (laughs) Have you ever been left out of a secret? It is no secret what God can do. Sounds like Billman, doesn't it? Yeah, isn't that great? Isn't that great? Have you ever been left out of a secret? You know, everyone knows but you. And so, and so sometimes it's really good, like someone's going to throw a birthday party for you, and everybody knows about the party but you. And, and sometimes it's like not good because it's a betrayal situation. It's, it's when you're in high school and, and you're in love with Mr. Right, and you find out Mr. Right ain't so right after all because he's seeing somebody else on the side and your heart's broken, those kind of things. Have you ever had a situation like that? Well, by the way, I'll just tell you, it's no secret what God can do. All right? So here's the deal. Here's the deal. That's how it is. The the sermon title today is Sovereign Rescue. And and really, we're going to talk a little bit about, again, how Satan does his deal. But that's a small part because I want to show you the great plan that God has for the redemption of man. And, and again, it's like Satan. Everyone could know what the story was, what the great rescue was. But it seemed like Satan was kind of clueless. And, and I don't know if it's A, because here's what I believe. I believe Satan knows what God tells him. I don't think he has the ability. He's not all-knowing, okay? So I don't think he's in on everything. I say, I believe Satan knows what God tells him. And frankly, another thing too, the thought and the concept of redemption and love is just so foreign to Satan, he probably just can't grasp it. So, so whether you know, God blocked the idea of, of the idea of redemption of man or whether, or whether it's because he just can't fathom Love and redemption because he's a, he's a hater, he's a liar, regardless of the reason, he did not understand this great redemption story that we're going to talk about today. Well, that's him. But what about us? What about us? Now, now, not that we're in the dark, because here in America, where the gospel's like on every corner, and so frankly, many of us today have gone to church a long time, and, and we kind of get the idea of the redemption, you know, rescue story... But if we're not careful, it becomes kind of uh, old to us. It becomes kind of stale to us. And we sometimes, you know, when we hear about the story, it's like maybe ingratitude. And, and I personally believe ingratitude leads to, to a spirit of expectation. 
Have you ever had that in your life? If we're not careful, the greatest story ever told, Jesus Christ and the redemption of man, can become stale and it can, can become old. Let me, let me illustrate it this way. I, I wrote a, I'm picking up the note because I, I, I... Now, this is not true what I'm fixing to tell you. It's a, it's a fictitious journal. It's a parable of ingratitude and expectation. Okay? So here's what I wrote. A parable about spiritual expectation and ingratitude. Week, Friday, week one. Well... I'm recovering from my heart surgery. Boy, did it hurt. But here's a bright spot. My neighbor Mike came over and mowed the grass for me today. I told him how much I appreciated it. Wow, what a great guy. What a great neighbor. Friday, week two. Doing better. And guess what? Mike came over again today and mowed the grass. How awesome! Though I wish he wouldn't cut it quite as short. Friday, week three. Okay, Mike was back again today, a day later than usual. He scalped the grass in a couple places. You just can't get good help these days. If he's going to help, he's going to have to do it right. Friday, week four. Well, I finally talked to Mike about the scalping issue and reminded him that the yard needed trimming too. He gave me the strangest look. What's that about? Friday, week five. Well, Mike didn't show this week, so I called him to remind him. He said something about me not being grateful. I don't have a clue what he's talking about. What a short-tempered guy. What a crummy neighbor. Can you identify with that? Can you identify with that? So here's the deal. If we're not careful, there's this, what develops with God is this spirit of expectation and ingratitude. And listen, we've said it dozens of times before, but if all that God ever gave us was this, if we woke every day and ate a slice of bread and a glass of water, if, if in fact our body is filled with sickness and disease, If it seems like our life goes so wrong and everyone else's goes so right. When he gave us the cross and the Christ and grace and mercy and eternal life, he outdid himself. And this is enough. This is enough for every week for us to run from our car into this building and celebrate the resurrection and the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and the fact that by His grace, we experience eternal life. How incredible is that? Now, I understand that there are two kinds of people here. When we think about sovereign rescue... There's only two kinds of people here today, and only two kinds of folks are listening on the radio. The first one is this. There are people who have experienced the rescue. And by that I mean that you have had a personal encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. You have come to grips with the terms, what the Bible says about your sin, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, that that there's nothing you can do to gain forgiveness, but receive what Jesus Christ did. You came to a terms with the fact that you need to turn from your sin and choose to follow Jesus Christ, instituting 
and stating the rescue and practicing the rescue. You're out. You're going. You're following Christ. That's one type of people. The other type folks are the ones who yet to be rescued. In other, words, in other words, you may have heard the story, kind of like the guy who wrote, it is no secret. He had gone to church all of his life, but never got that. It's like your pastor who was in church for 21 years. I mean, doing all the church stuff, but totally missed Jesus, totally missed grace, totally missed forgiveness. It may be you today. And God has cared enough to orchestrate a service today so you could hear about the greatest love story ever told, the greatest story ever told, the sovereign rescue. And that's what we want to talk about today. So if you'll take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 3. Now, I know we use this a lot. I'm hoping that we can come up with something, a fresh approach to this today. I think you will. Keep in mind that what we're going to talk about at the beginning is not the big story. The big story is the sovereign rescue. And then tonight, boy, Dave, when Dave said said about idols, I, I want to go to Genesis 3 again tonight. Again, because I feel like it's so important. But a whole different angle about our time in the garden. And Dave, thank you very much because I'll probably talk about the idols in our garden. The idols in our garden. So look at Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 7. Now, because we're going to talk tonight about Genesis chapter 3, we won't spend a lot of time. But the bottom line is this, that, that Adam and Eve were created by God and he placed them in the garden where they were allowed to live and, and you know, have fellowship with him. And they were only told that there's one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that they should not eat from. And, and the devil shows up and tempts Eve. And the bottom line is she does her thing. She rebels against God and does what she wants to do. And when that happens, God has said, you're going to die. And we, they begin to die physically and they died spiritually at that point. We probably can't fathom what that felt like at that moment. But in verse number 7, we read these words. The Bible says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened. Now, at the moment they sinned, something happened. Something they had not experienced. They experienced immediate separation where, where God would come and they would talk together, the Bible says, in the cool of the day. All of a sudden, they felt instant separation from God. You know, when Eve was doing her thing, you know, she looked at the fruit and said, boy, it looks good. It's good for fruit. It'll make somebody wise. She was rationalizing and trying to figure that thing out and weigh with that. And I just wonder this. What if she'd have paused just a minute longer? What if she'd looked around and saw that all that God had given them? I wonder if she would have said, no, it doesn't really sound like a good deal to me. And I wonder this. What about us? How many times... Have we been on the verge of a sin? And I'm talking about, you know, sin. I'm just talking about sin. But what if it's a grievous sin to you? What if it's that moment when you step out of your marriage? What if that moment when you choose to go down a path you shouldn't go? What, what, is, what if it's that moment when you've been dry for eight years and all of a sudden you choose not to be dry anymore? Or you've been off, you know, you've been, un, you know, you've, you've been off drugs for a while and you decide to go ahead and take the drug? Or, or what if you're, you're, you've obeyed your mom and dad and it's Friday night students and, and your boyfriend says, let's go somewhere and you find yourself in the backseat of a car in the middle of nowhere and that moment of decision is there? You know, what if? What if we just took a moment to pause, to pause and think one more time? 
I'll guarantee you this. When Eve experienced what happened, when their eyes were open, I promise you Eve was she had taken that pause. But she didn't. And their eyes were open to the fact that they were naked. I know there's some kid in the the preacher said naked from the pulpit. Well, it's in the Bible. We've got to say it. But here's the big deal. It's more than just they didn't have any clothes on. All of a sudden, they were standing naked before God as sinners. All of a sudden, all the guilt of, of sin, they recognize it and feel it for the first time. For the first time. All of a sudden, all that shame, all of a sudden, of sin, they recognize it for the first time. That's what the Bible's trying to say. This rush of guilt and shame comes upon them. Some of you know that today. It may have been the day you were saved. It's it's when the preacher was preaching something and all of a sudden, and you may be here needing rescue today, and all of a sudden something's wrong with you. Wait a minute, I've never heard that before. And all of a sudden you recognize that you're separated from holy God and all the ramifications and consequences of that. And you feel this rush. Maybe you felt it this week, sir, when you were surfing on the net and something popped up on the screen and for the first time you couldn't turn it off. Maybe you're feeling it today, student, because last Friday night you weren't able to turn it off and something happened horribly in the back seat of that car. Maybe you finally had enough of your neighbor having the boats and this week at work, You decided it was worth the risk of embezzlement. And you covered it up the best you could. But all of a sudden you feel that guilt and that shame like never before. And that's one of the, even if you're saved today, that's one of the the consequences of sin that's so heavy. Again, it's, it's like Donnie said in the song. We feel that shame and that guilt come upon us. So what did, what did Adam and Eve try to do? Well, the same way we've been doing since then. The Bible says, So they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. Now, notice, notice the verbiage here. They sewed. You know what they did? They did. They decided if fellowship, if fellowship with God was broken, then they had to do something to fix it. They did. And I'm telling you that every since this time in the garden, every time men want to fix the relationship with God, and we are incapable of doing that. So they sewed these fig leaves together that would hide their nakedness, that would soothe their conscience, that would try to mend the broken relationship now with God, who, who would hide their shame and hide their guilt. The only problem was it's temporary and inadequate. Leaves die. As they went out to the garden and they began plucking whatever that fig leaf looked like and sewing it together, those leaves eventually dried up, turned brown, and crumbled. And all our attempts, all our attempts to reach out and restore that relationship with God crumble before us. It's inadequate. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin. You know what this is, don't you? This is religion. 
See, I think, I've said this before, and I'm sure people, they, they push back from it. But religion will send more people to hell than anything else. Because while, while God has reached down to us through the sovereign rescue, through His Son, we have a tendency to try to reach up to God and mend things up with religion. It takes many different forms. It takes guys in India dunking in a river. It takes the guys in, in Japan and all over there bowing before false gods. It sometimes looks like getting up and going to church every day hoping that will make a difference. Religion. There's no shortage of religion even in America. But there is a shortage of Jesus. And you can always tell religion because it involves your doing. You're doing. How many times have I heard it? I'll stop that. I'll start a new habit. I've heard it before. Preacher, it's time for me to get into church. And what he's saying and what she is saying is that it's time for me to go to church so God will accept me. Your going to church will not allow God to accept you. Your being baptized will not pave the way for a relationship with God Almighty. Your being a Baptist has nothing to do with going to heaven. There is but one way, and it's the way of an old rugged cross. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. And unfortunately, we've done a one, we have not done a very good job of selling Jesus in America, but we've done an incredible job of selling religion. And people with false hopes flock to churches today and hoping that somehow something they will do through some ritual, through some rote thing they do, that somehow God will accept them. And we've lost track of what he did. And we've lost it because we're trying to do like Adam and like Eve. So here they are. They were in perfect fellowship with God. You know, the Bible says that before this, they were naked and not ashamed. There was no guilt. There was no shame. They had this wonderful relationship with God the Father. They rebelled against the Father. The relationship was broken, and they feel guilt and shame for the first time. And they know something's wrong. In fact, God shows up later. And says, hey, where are you guys? <laughs> he knew. He was kind of hoping they'd figure out where they were. And Adam speaks up and says, we're hiding in the bushes because we've... And God said, well, have you ate the tree? And yeah, we did. And we'll talk about that tonight. But we get to a point that God chooses to deal with the situation. See, we can't deal with the situation. God has to deal with the situation. So, so he... He looks to this serpent. Look at verse number 14 in Genesis 3. Look at verse number 14. Then the Lord God said to the serpent. Now, now again, Satan had taken the form of a serpent. More than likely, he had possessed a serpent. That's no big deal because we know even in the Bible, you know, when Balak you know, would talk for the donkey, God enabled a donkey to talk. So it's no big deal in the Bible. So, so Satan had taken possession of a serpent. And, and the serpent was used by Satan. So, so the, the Bible says that the Lord God said to the serpent, literally to a snake, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. 
So, so I want you to get this, that, that there was a snake there. It was possessed by Satan. But at this point, God is speaking to the animal and says this. You will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. In other words, now, now listen carefully and don't take this too far. Do you remember the story of Noah and the flood? Remember that? And God made a promise that he would not flood the earth again, destroy the earth, judge the earth by water. And what did he give in the sky as a sign? He gave a rainbow. I will put the bow in the sky, and that will be a sign, a covenant with you, that I will not judge the earth in this way ever again. This is not that strong. This is not that strong. But if God is talking to the serpent, why does he put a curse on this animal? I'll tell you why. It's a constant Reminder of the gravity of the fall of man. It's a constant reminder of what happened in the garden and how serious it is. I'm telling you, we don't get it. We can be angry. We can be bitter. We can be unforgiving. We can cheat in our marriages. And and I'm talking about sometimes believers. And like, it doesn't faze us anymore. I think God gave us this symbol to just remind us of the gravity of the situation. You know, most people don't like snakes. There are normal people that snakes give the imijimis to, and then there's abnormal people who like snakes. We had, we had a guy named Bob Niebuhr at, our, at the Cobden Church. And Bob was a biology teacher. I think I told this story on Wednesday night one time. He was a biology teacher, and he had this thing for snakes. And um, so one day he pulled up, and I was at the office, and he tooted his horn, and there was Bob's red pickup truck. And so I walk out, and he says, hey, come around to the other side. So I did. And we were pretty good buds, and I just popped open that door, and coiled up on the front seat was about a six-foot diamondback rattler. Now, Bob's not normal, because Bob is laughing. Dwayne is normal because he's got the Emmy Jimmies. Let's just say it scared the pants off of me. I'm normal. That's what most people, have you noticed this? Most people respond to snakes that way. Isn't that strange? We don't respond to a raccoon that way. Now, we have a response to skunks, but, but, but not really because of, but boy, you mentioned snakes. I mean, yeah, I killed a snake the other day. What kind was it? Don't matter. The only kind of good snake's a dead snake. It's funny how we have that angst with that. And I'm just saying, could it possibly bleed that implanted in us? Is that fear of snakes because implanted in us is that understanding. It reminds us of something greater. My grandson Ethan was over at the house yesterday. And we had this garden pond. It's not very big. It's about, well, it's probably four foot, five foot around. And I've got rocks around it, little rocks, you know, and things like that. And, and one of the, the, the things that the grandkids really like to do is to chuck rocks in the pond. I understand that. But when they chuck the rocks in the pond, one of two things is going to happen. Either Paul Paul's got to get on his hand and knees and fish the rocks out of the pond and put them back on the edge... Or I've gone across the alley where I dumped the rocks about five years ago, get a bucket, load rocks up, and put them back around the pond. 
It kind of keeps the pond anchored. Well, sure enough, I mean, Ethan goes out to the pond. And he said something like, Mom! Yes, he didn't ask me. Mom, can I like, get a cup and play in the water? And I looked at Becca and I said, I don't know where this is going. This is going to turn into a rock-chucking outfit. So I knew I had to do something. I was a little bit desperate. So I said, well, watch out for the snake. It didn't get his attention. So I said it again. Ethan, watch out for the snake. Is there a snake out here? Yeah, it's a, it's a yellow puff spitting viper. Is there? Yeah, it could be a snake out there. Yeah. So he comes over and we're talking. Now, Paul, Paul, is there really a snake? And what kind is it again? And all this. And so they know me very well. And so finally Ethan turns to mom and says, like, is he tricking me? You know? And so he looks at me and says, Papa, are you tricking me? I said, uh, yeah. <laughs> there's no snake. Yeah. Oh, actually, I said, well, there might be a snake, but there's not one that I know of. My point is this. I wanted to get Ethan's attention. Don't chuck the rocks in the pond. Because I saw where it was going. And you just wonder, did God give us this angst? Next time you see a snake, will you think about this? Because, again, he speaks and says, you are going to crawl on your belly and eat dust for the rest of your life. Maybe. God's helping us understand the gravity of sin and the situation. It's interesting that he says that you'll crawl on your belly. There's really no proof that maybe the snake had legs before this. We don't know that. I won't even propose that. But it's interesting that he says, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. Hey, guys, have you ever, like, been in, like, a drag race? And you look over and you're going, whoopa, whoopa. Now, my car goes purr, purr, but that's beside the point. If you've had, like, a, a muscle car, whoopa. And you look over and you go, eat my dust. Have you ever said it or heard it? Isn't that interesting? Because in Scripture, the eating of dust is defeat and demise. Just like you hope to do when you ubah your motor. You have some an ubah car? I know Matt does. Your Civic doesn't ubah, does it? You're in the same boat I am. Defeat and demise. And what God is saying when He speaks to the serpent... He's saying, and now understand the, bit, the picture's bigger than just a snake now. It's also talking about the ultimate serpent. Satan. He's saying, there's a time of ultimate defeat and demise for you coming. It's huge. We're starting to get the big picture that there's something big coming in this story. It's interesting. In Micah 7, 17, it says this. Talking about the enemies of God. They will lick the dust like a snake. Micah, written hundreds of years later. They will come trembling out of their hiding places like reptiles slithering on the ground. They will tremble in the presence of Yahweh our God. They will stand in awe of you. God's saying, hey, Satan, there's a time of defeat coming. There's a time of defeat coming. And there's a time of demise. Listen to this. In Isaiah 65, 25, listen to this. Talking about the end of times. 
The wolf and the lamb will feed together. And the lion will eat straw like an ox. But the serpent's food will be my dust. The serpent's food will be my dust. There's coming a time of ultimate defeat for Satan. If you've been rescued, you are on the winning team. That's a good place for an amen. If you have been rescued, you're on the winning team. And if you have not yet been rescued, if you've not yet experienced God's amazing grace, you're on the losing team. And God has put you here today to give the opportunity to change that by His grace. By His grace. So in case we're not getting the story yet, He makes it clear. Look at verse 15. I will put hostility. There's going to be a war, God says, between you, Satan, and the woman. And between your seed, Satan, you and your demons, and her seed, mankind, captained by the Lord Jesus Christ. There's going to be a war. He says, he, Jesus, will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Now, understanding this is written millennia, 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 millennia before the, the first Easter and Good Friday. And here we are, thousands of years before that. And the author of the sovereign rescue is saying, there's going to come a time. And yes, you will wound my son on a tree. In human terms, he's going to die. But on the third day, he's getting up again. You'll wound him because you cannot ultimately Kill him. You can drive nails in his wrist and nails in his feet, but you can't kill him because on the third day, he's going to rise again. Oh. But Mr. Satan, you need to know something. He's going to wound you in the head. You may think, notice the word think, you may think that you win this day because you don't understand it. Because I'm not going to reveal that to you. You may think you win that day. I I would suppose if Satan throws parties, there was probably one on Good Friday when Jesus died. He just couldn't see Sunday coming. (laughs) He just couldn't see the third day in the resurrection. But Satan, you need to know something. That you may wound him here and you can't kill him because the third day is going to get up. And live forever. But in the end of the story, I'm going to send one of my angels. No need to bother the son. I'm going to send one of my angels. And he's going to capture you and throw you in the lake of fire. That's why you want to be on the winning team. Because God wins in the end. That's what the book says. And if you're here for the first time and going about this rescue thing, yeah, but the Bible. My college professor told me the Bible's a book of myth. Really? And who gave him the star for being the most intelligent person in the world? Again, he may know more about, more about math than you do, but I promise you he doesn't know more about God. This book has been around for millennia. He's been around about 50 years. I love what Dennis Rainey said. I I never post anything on Facebook, and I had to post it yesterday. Dennis Rainey said, Our nation is filled with small people playing God. Our nation is filled with small people playing God. And our universities are filled with small people 
playing God. Our government offices are filled with small people playing God. Our neighborhoods are filled with small, actually small humans was the word he used, playing God. But the word of God's been around for millennia. Forty people wrote it. Sixty-six sacred writings. You know, written 1,600 years, started writing before, 600 years before Christ. Written over a 1,500-year span. It's a book you can trust. And the book says God wins in the end. And if you're on his team, you win too. If you're on the other guy's team, you lose. You lose. Well, we're not going to get as far as I thought today. Does that surprise you? Again, keep in mind what I'm, what I'm talking about today is millennia, millennia, millennia before it happens. Now, in case, God says, now, in case there's any, any fuzziness about what I'm telling you about, look at verse number 21. Look at verse 21 in Genesis 3. We have them experiencing guilt and shame of sin for the first time. We have God putting this curse on the serpent and on Satan, predicting, predicting the wounding of Jesus, actually the death but not staying dead, and the ultimate demise and defeat of Satan. And then he gives us the picture. And then he gives us the picture. In verse 21, after all this has been talked out, God gives a picture of what's going to happen. And he gives it to Adam and Eve. But it's for us today. The Lord God. Now who? Say, say the Lord God. Okay. The Lord God made clothing out of skins for Adam and his wife. And he clothed them. This is magnificent. You remember that Adam and Eve went out to the garden and they did They sewed the leaves together, something that was temporary. It was going to crumble and fail and was totally and woefully inadequate. Then God takes over. And God, the Bible says, he made clothing out of skins. Now, this is beautiful. Where do you get skins? From an animal. And we don't have any indication of this. But unless God went poof and a skin was laying on the ground, for the first time in the brief history of man, an innocent animal dies. And he dies to make a covering for sinful man. Man didn't do it. God did it. Man didn't do it. God did it. And God slays this innocent animal. And then he makes coverings for Adam and Eve. You know, the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Now, understand this. Remember, We're looking thousands of years back and God is looking and Adam and Eve are having the privilege of looking thousands of years forward. 
Because there was coming a time when an innocent lamb, the Bible calls Jesus Christ the Lamb of God, and John said, who takes away the sins of the world. So an innocent man, God-man, Jesus Christ, is going to die so that people like you and I could have redemption and forgiveness of our sins. And this innocent animal is looking forward to that day. It's a picture of what's going to happen millennia ahead. And man didn't do it. God, in fact, you see what it says? He made clothing out of skins for Adam and his wife. And who clothed them? God clothed them. God clothed them. He did it. And for those of you out there who are going... Dwayne, I know I've never been rescued before. You need to understand something. There's really only two two kinds of people, those who have been rescued and those who yet need to be rescued. But there's only two kinds of religion. There's do and done. Do and done. And the only done religion is Christianity. The only done religion is Jesus Christ. He did so we can't, what we couldn't do, and so He did it for us. Jesus Christ is not about, about, okay, you get your sins forgiven, and then you've got to do, 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 do to make sure God still likes you. There's really no do in grace. It's done. It's done. Now, if you're here today and you've never been redeemed, you've never been rescued, you need to know that. God's not calling you to hopefully do enough where He'll like you. It's done, baby. And when you receive God's grace through through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. Not based on your fig leaves, but based on His shed blood. Now, my dear brothers and sisters, you need to hear this too. Because too many Christians today are walking around convinced that, yeah, I met Jesus at the cross, but now it's up to me. Listen, you couldn't save yourself and you can't keep yourself saved. Enjoy, enjoy, enjoy the wonderful grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Bask in His love. Bask in His grace. This this thing we do I know some of you just really are carrying a burden because you're thinking you've got to do. It's, it's almost a burden to get up and come because you know you've got to do. If I don't go, then God won't like me. Where did you get that theology besides some crazy preacher preaching an ungospel? If you've experienced God's grace and forgiveness, you are saved by grace and you are held by grace. Enjoy His grace. Enjoy His grace. And that's why this guy can lead us to the throne of grace every day. We celebrate and worship because not what we do, but what He did. And oh, if we had time, we might have one of those three-hour services. If we had time, we could go forward to the ark where Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And, and that ark is a symbol pitched in and out with tar. Saving Noah and his family. We could, go to, we could go to Abraham, a pagan who was called by God's grace 
We could go up on the mountaintop when God said you're going to slaughter your son and he was willing to trust God, you know, you know how, but God provided another sacrifice. We could go to the children of Israel in the Passover. On your sermon sheet, we could go to Isaiah 53 and read the great prophecy written 700 years. Read it when you get home. Isaiah 53, 700 years before Jesus. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace is upon him. We could go before Jesus walked on, or died on the cross and how Jesus understood and told his boys, told his disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem and they're going to arrest me and, and the scribes and Pharisees are going to turn me over to the Gentiles and they're going to mock me and they're going to spit at me and they're going to flog me and they're going to kill me. But on the third day, somebody say on the third day. On the third day, I'm getting back up. If you ever wonder why it was a so- why was it such a wonderfully sovereign rescue? It's because it's all God and not us. It's all God. So if you're here today, first, to my friend here, maybe still listening on the radio, if you're here today and, and you've never experienced this rescue, yes, you may have gone to church, but you felt like if you didn't go to church, that somehow that church was the bridge to a relationship with God, and it's not. It's not. It never could be. Religion, no. But if you're here today, we want to, we hopefully have told you and want to tell you more about God's sovereign rescue and what Jesus did on an old rugged cross 2,000 years ago. Isn't it amazing, by the way, of all the emperors of Rome, most of us can't even name one, but a, a carpenter from a remote region of Nazareth, two-thirds of the world know his name. Do you not find that amazing? Why? <laughs> He's the son of God, that's why. You know, when a guy predicts his own death and pulls it off and then resurrects on the third day, you kind of remember his name. The reason we don't remember these other guys is they didn't do anything. <laughs> but Jesus did. So if you're here today, and, and I'm not talking about church or baptism or being a Baptist, but if you don't know more about Jesus Christ and what he did for you, my friend Brent's going to be standing right down front. And we'd love to share it with you. And if you're here today, and, and, maybe, and maybe the passion of the story, the passion of the, of the sovereign rescue story has kind of gotten old. Maybe you just need to remember why we're so grateful. Because he did it all. And some of the guys in the Bible, most of the guys in the Bible never got over it. And I pray that we will never get over it. Amen. We'll never get over what he did for us in the sovereign rescue. So if you're here today and you've never experienced that, my friend Brent wants to share it with you. He'll be here in just a moment. And my brothers and sisters, let's enjoy, let's enjoy the wonderful grace. Here's a term you're familiar with, the amazing grace of God. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this high privilege of sharing your word today about this wonderful story. Oh, how we need to hear it again and again and again. As we think thousands of years before the actual event and now looking 2,000 years back, certainly over 6,000 years ago, 
You looked ahead. And when man sinned, provided a way that we could be forgiven. So if there's a friend here today who needs this divine rescue, they may not understand it all. I don't understand it all. But let them understand their sin and their need to trust Jesus and help them to do that today. Father, for my friend here today, my brother or sister here today, and they are struggling. They're struggling with their life right now. The joy, perhaps, of knowing you is long gone. The gratitude, perhaps, is waning some. Father, perhaps serving has become duty and drudgery. Help them, Father. Help us to enjoy you today. Enjoy your amazing grace again like we did at the start. So please, Holy Spirit, only you can draw men and women to to the Father. And Holy Spirit, only you can touch our hearts today. I pray you'll do that in Jesus' name. Amen.